You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. So I'm here at the 2009 PRSA International Conference uh, with uh, Rob Key. He is the CEO and founder of Conversion. Uh, I have seen him speak on many panels over the years, and I'm pleased to finally have him with me at this table. And I'm glad to definitely be here at this table. Thank you. We are going to do a special episode on the state of listening to the conversation, uh, because I know that's something you focus on. Tell us about how you help organizations listen to right. conversations online. Right. Well, Conversion is a, is a full-service social media consultancy. So you know, what that means is we help companies go through a process of, of how humans communicate. They listen first, figure out what's going to be said, say it, see what the impact is, and do it all over again. So Conversion is organized in three areas. We have a, we have a technology listening platform called, we call conversation mining, and we're using with many of the largest companies around the world. Uh, but that's only part of it. The other part of it is once you do, once we do listening for companies and figuring out, well, how am I going to engage in this conversation, which is a lot of conversation about out there now, how do you operationalize this within big companies? Because many times you'll bring listening into the company and they'll say, we don't even know where to begin. We're not organized right. So-and-so doesn't talk to so-and-so. We don't have the proper policies. Um, we don't know how to get from here to there. So we actually have a, a management consulting practice, which is led by um, ex-distinguished engineer at IBM, Mike Moran, and author of the book, Do It Wrong Quickly. And then we have an engagement practice. So what we actually do is we help companies provide an end-to-end social solution. So it's listen, operationalize this, and then engage, and uh, then infuse that to do it all over again. And you know we've been really pleased lately to get some great recognitions, including the Sammy Award as Best Social Agency. We won a Forrester Groundswell Award the other week. And so I think that our approach which really in many ways kind of breaks it changes the model of what a traditional communications marketing communications company looks like uh, is really getting some traction and uh, is I, I think in some ways is trying is forging some new models for for uh, for the industry so I know you guys call it conversation mining right so what's the difference between conversation mining and media measurement right well there is uh, there's a delineation that we make within the conversation mining space. I'm just going to use conversation. I'll put it the listening space is kind of a generic term that we can use. Um, there, we have what we call kind of conversation monitoring, which is essentially this. Here's the conversation that's happening right now at this time. I just need to know big pipes of data. Just tell me what's going on right now. Not a lot of analytics. Uh, just essentially kind of the, show me the trees and the forests as they're coming in. Um, the use cases for that are often customer service, uh, media rela- or public relations, crisis management, etc. So, you know, those are the things that in many cases, a lot of the public relations industry is kind of globbed onto. Just, you know, give me pipes of conversation that I can listen to right now. And there's a bunch of low-end solutions, essentially, that can provide you a lot of pipes of data. Um, with not a lot of interest, not a lot of analytics. On the other side of the coin is something we call conversation mining. And conversation mining is when you start to apply really deep levels of analysis and analytics into the conversation. So we're talking about things like sentiment. We're talking about things like geolocation. We're talking about things like intent modeling, um, where you're really providing, you're, you're taking that pipe of data, but adding deep levels of intelligence um, to it. And 
use cases for that include things like market research, uh, research and development, product innovation, uh, uh, mar- market, uh, business intelligence, uh, overall media planning, uh, informing creative. Um, there are all types of different use cases that need to be utilized within the organization for mining that just pure monitoring products can't fulfill. So in the market, um, there's all kinds of fragmentation. So Conversion tends to work with you know, the larger, larger brands. Um, most of our clients are Fortune 500, uh, certainly Fortune 1000. So what happens in those organizations and kind of the state of the market today is simply there's all this fragmentation where many of the large organizations have multiple different solutions to fulfill multiple different use cases. So the public relations will have these low-end tools, kind of pipes. Uh, market research will hire, it will bring in these other solutions that are doing deep levels of sentiment analysis and other things because they're trying to find the meaning. They're trying to find the, the forest from the trees, not just the trees in the forest. And what happens is, now extrapolate that globally because you're starting more and more listening is expanding into multi uh into multi-language we just started to do mandarin through a strategic partnership um in july um you start to have different platforms uh with different different data sets with different methodologies and you start to get really fuzzy data fuzzy information and big companies are making big decisions on what is essentially a lot of fuzzy data so in the marketplace, um, what we see and what we see the largest brands asking for in 2010 is um, enterprise solutions to become not just having a listening tool that is kind of dangles out there and is used intermittently and, you know, maybe used in, in narrow use cases, but to actually have a single platform that can be custom configured to meet all the internal use cases in organizations. Um, and that ranges from uh, all those that I mentioned earlier, but things like even mergers and acquisitions and and customer service and market research and public relations and media planning and and campaign effectiveness and there are there are at least a dozen very powerful use cases within organizations for listening and the smartest companies in the world are actually looking for single platforms to fulfill all those use cases from a single data set so they're not getting fuzzy data and then being able to do that on a global basis so what we talk about is not just providing an off-the-shelf listening tool. What we talk about is how do you become a listening organization for sustainable differentiation and advantage. And that is where the state of the industry is uh, today. And how do you do that? I mean, if you are a public relations or a public affairs person within right. the organization and you realize that your clipping agency isn't quite fulfilling the need that right. monitoring could fulfill it these days, right. and you, you, you have a, a, an understanding that you could get business intelligence out that would be a benefit to product development, marketing, customer service, the Mm C-suite, how do you actually change the organization and get them you know, open to right. taking information from you of this nature. There, there are three components to that. And the first one, and I say this in all presentations that I speak to when I'm speaking to the public relations in the industry, and not just the public relations industry, actually. I was speaking at iBrand Summit recently and talking to the media folks, too. You need to reconceptualize your job. Your job isn't just corporate communications or media relations anymore. For in the future, you need to become an enterprise sol- solution because... If you're going to have listening and if you're going to own social media, you have to understand all the use cases and all the benefits across the organization. And you have to reconceptualize what you, your kind of siloed approach to kind of what you do and begin to become an enterprise uh, solution where you, can, where you can interact and fulfill all those different areas, including search marketing, including research and development, including uh, – and now it sounds like so – 
first, I think everyone who's listening and believes in this, you have to say, okay, you know what, I need to step up to the table and and I'm going to become even a more strategic partner with my agencies because I know, for example, HP has said that it listening integrated into uh, customer services saved them $10 million in call center costs, right? You also know uh, P&G has said that through listening and through social media more broadly that, uh, that over 50% of its innovation is coming from outside the company over the next several years. And they've put out, oh, I, think, I think they've set up more than 200 products that at least have some of the innovation, some of the R&D that's happened outside the company. So when you start to realize the value of this, um, that you know, it's incumbent upon the owner of social to become enterprise in, in, in nature. Now, so there's the reconceptualization piece. So you have to think big. And I think one of the problems in the industry is that we don't think big enough. Uh, We're still thinking in very traditional media relations. What we're really talking about is infusing the value of social across the entire enterprise for sustainable differentiation. To me, that should be the mission of the industry going forward. But that's one piece. So once you accept that, and if you accept that, the second piece is technology. So how do I get the right pieces of listening that are coming through these pipes to me to the right people in the company? what we have and what, the, what we're starting to see some movement in the industry is, about, is around workflow tools. So when you have a right piece of listening coming through, you have custom configured workflow solutions that say, okay, this piece of, this piece of listening needs to go to this person internally. It needs to go to legal or it needs to go to research and development or it needs to go to customer service. And within the workflow tools, permission levels are built. So those people who are trained can actually act on the data. But also within the workflow, you can put, well, who needs to sign off on this? Who needs to have approvals? Who needs to, um, how do you know that it's been acted on? So you're sharing that intelligence and you're infusing all the listening across the enterprise through these workflow tools that that also help ensure compliance across the organization so that the people who can really act on it, who are really trained on it, are the ones who can act on it. And when they act on it, the outcomes are captured. And those outcomes are shared across the enterprise, too. These things work from a legal perspective because lawyers want this type of compliance in place, but it also works from a technology perspective so that you know you in public relations or marketing aren't sitting there sending emails out to people saying, hey, I think you need to pay attention to this. It's built into the technology and built into the workflow tools so that this is happening it, you know, on a constant and persistent basis across the enterprise. So here's, here's my uh, uh, questions I have about this. Um, the first thing is this idea of custom configuration. Right. I could, I could see how that could really work if what you're going to do is monitor a brand or a product or a service. But often our job has to do with dealing with brands, products, services, and reputations during a crisis. Mm-hmm. And the crisis is unanticipated. Right. And at that time, you need to sort of get a very quick handle on what's being said, and there may not be time for custom configuration. Mm. And that's why what's happening in the largest companies is is these things aren't turned on and turned off. These things are persistent, ongoing, listening solutions infused across the enterprise. So when those things come up, it's not about configuring it to what I need at this time. It's already pre-configured. This listening is persistent. It's happening all the time. You're getting the data. You have their dashboard access. You can do everything that you need to do. And, uh, Meaning so, you, you could modify the keywords on your own. Well, you can do, absolutely. I mean, right. th- these things are there. But also what you... It wouldn't are, need to be pre-configured by somebody. You wouldn't have no. to make a call and say, hey, by the way, can you add these keywords? Because I think we've got a crisis right. breaking out and we want to be able right. to monitor it. No, no. The pre-configuration is, is done at the very outset of when a company decides they want to become a listening organization. So there's discovery up front and says, who are all the people internally that need to get listening? Who are the people that are approved to act on listening? And then you ensure that it's structured in a way that you're doing persistent ongoing listening all the time so whether it's 
defensive listening, so there is a crisis, or whether it's offensive in terms of somebody saying, hey, you know what would be really cool? I'd love to see this company build this into their product, which goes over to research and development. It's, uh, it's part of the lifeblood of who, what an organization is. But the third piece of that, as you were asking too, is like, how do I make this thing happen? Well, there's an operationaliz- operationalizing component to this, which is we say a lot of this stuff can be you know, technically relatively simple, although it's not. I mean, if we really want to talk about what the technology of listening is, it's, it's pretty complex. But uh, it can be culturally really difficult. And so what we do and what we're seeing a movement towards is a management consulting function to help these organizations begin to organize around listening and social media so that they can actually do something about it. So all those silos that exist internally all, all um, start to be broken down through the proper governance. Um, that legal doesn't become such an impediment because you set, you're setting up the proper policies and, and, uh, and structures. That you have the proper infrastructure internally around workflow and integration with your other CRM tools and other things as well. That there's training. So that there's enterprise training about what this stuff is, how to act on it, how do you engage with the highest ethical conduct. And once you do engage, how do you capture it on the enterprise level so you have the intelligence, like a CRM tool of engagement that's shared across the enterprise. So if someone, in two months from now, somebody from another office is going to reach out to a particular venue and they have a whole historical knowledge of what previous engagements have been and what the outcomes were, that you have real intelligence about what you're doing. That's the direction that uh, we're going in. And when companies do have that in place, they tend to be able to react much more quickly in the event, event of a crisis. Um, it's not the 48 hours that we often see. Even you know, now, they're able to react within hours because everything has been pre-configured, because the policies are in place. Everybody knows what they're doing. The listening is already in place. And, um, and uh, the tools are in place to be able to move really rapidly. There's so much information to monitor. It's overwhelming, right. the quantity of information that's out there. And I know a number of the monitoring platforms actually charge you based on the number of days that you want to be able to go back, I would imagine because the infrastructure required to store that information, you know, that there's a cost of goods there. And so I wonder, I mean, um, can a platform look back four or five years? And what if, for example, a client were to come to you and say, hey, we've got all this data already from the last six years mm. before we are bringing you in. And we want you to take that information and put it into your system so that you, we can now compare whatever you're going to give us from your system with that. Right. How do you deal with that? Right. Um, well, we, we, keep, we keep conversations for 13 months. And you're right. It's an immense amount of data. We're dealing with, with uh, millions and millions of conversations, tens of millions of conversations on a daily basis. So storage becomes a, is, is a cost. But that isn't the, the real challenge around listening from a technology perspective isn't just capturing the conversations. Um, it's about what you had mentioned earlier. How do you kind of separate the wheat from the chaff? So there's a, how, do you, how do you cleanse it for spam, first of all? So there's a lot of you know, Bayesian-type filtering that you need to kind of go through to get the relevant conversations. Uh, you need to go through kind of Boolean filters to get the relevant conversations. And then you need to apply really advanced analytics against that conversation and get it in the hands of the people that will do it. So what you brought up, though, in terms of how do we integrate this data with our own internal data is, is actually a really um, interesting one and something that it's kind of, we've been talking a lot about lately. And so 
to explain kind of briefly how we look at uh, analysis, um, you know, if you can think of a pyramid, we, we do something we call the hierarchy of analysis. It's, a, it's seven layers of hierarchy of analysis within listening. At the very bottom of the pyramid, you have a pipe of data, kind of unclean data, just pipes of data, lots of spam, lots of irrelevance, lots of other stuff, and it's a big pipe. If you go a layer above that, it's cleanse data. So how do you get the conversation through Boolean filters and through Bayesian filtering to get the stuff that's actually relevant? So if you happen to be Apple computer, you're not seeing all kinds of stuff about fruit in, your, in what you're looking at, right? The layer above that is, um, is what we call baseline analytics. What can machines do in a pretty easy way that can kind of help tell you what's going on here? Uh, some basic levels of influence. Um, so the volume, uh, topic, uh, there's, there's basic stuff the machines do really well, and they can kind of give you some baseline understanding of what the conversation is. The layer above that is what we call black box analytics, which is where the industry is getting really interesting because how do we start to do things like geolocation? Because when you start to do just IP lookup and things like that, basically where a place is hosted isn't necessarily where the person is. So there's some interesting technology, some coming out of MIT, where people are actually you know, walking down the street and say, hey, I'm actually two blocks from Penn, Penn Center, or Penn Station. Um, you can kind of start to think about where people are from that perspective and overlay it with that. You can start to overlay data from all types of third-party sources. So you know, I often kind of make the analogy, it's a little bit like DNA uh, analysis, that we can take one little small snippet of data that somebody provides within these conversations, and through third-party data sources and through other uh, techniques and algorithms that we have, you can kind of rebuild the full person. Is this person in multiple different places? What are they doing in these different places? What have they done in the past? You put a layer above that. Now, that's, that's interesting in and of itself, but we're going higher up the pyramid. Higher up the pyramid is, is a layer of human analysis. And the reason is machines can do, uh, and even with the most complex, and we're doing a lot of work in natural language processing and text analytics and all kinds of other things there, machines can only on their best day get about 65% of what the conversation is that they can capture right. And that's what they can find. So there's a recall thing too where they can't find a lot of the conversation because most conversations um, are very complex. Um, It's difficult to dig out what we call the instances in a conversation. So if you're trying to do just a record conversation, a record on a record level a person may say well on one hand i like this but on the other hand i don't like this and this thing is here and and there's sarcasm involved and everything else and most machine-based solutions will hit that and say i don't know what this is talking about so it's either neutral or mixed because i can't figure it out what the real best the best technologies do and what what we do is we suss out each of those levels of 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 incidents with uh, to to apply sentiment to each of those different levels of incidents this really granular level of uh, of sentiment analysis because those are where the great insights are so we're going to go further up the pyramid, and further up the pyramid is starting to integrate internal customer data with uh, the external data. And to your point, we have but all this that, data in the past. Internal customer data hasn't been filtered like the new data that you're bringing in. Uh, it, it, in many cases, it, in many cases, it hasn't been, and there are ways you can work and cleanse it, and there are certain things you can find. But what it, what some internal customer intelligence data, and this is what we're evolving from, from social intelligence data to customer intelligence data. You can start to bring some of these data points together to say, not only is this person speaking negatively out there about in this particular venue, but this person spent $450 with us last year uh, and has been a customer since 2006. So all of a sudden, when you're starting to bring these two different worlds together, the internal and the external, you're really building out the profile of who this individual is. Is it possible that social CRM could be the stopgap for storing that customer information? Is that something you're considering with clients you're working for? The idea that maybe you're storing 13 months in your in your conversation mining 
platform. Mm -hmm. But if it's something that a customer says, we're actually going to pipe that over to the CRM database well, that, and that, store it there. That's exactly, that's exactly how it's working now, uh, as a matter of fact. It's so that when the conversation is coming in on a daily basis and it's, and it's built into the workflow with the rules of this is something that needs to go to customer service, the workflow tool pumps it over to customer service already. Customer service... Um, Customer services then, in, in some cases, they're just basically just reaching out. You know, there, there are people in the customer service team. We're seeing this more and more with companies. Uh, Comcast and others are, are obviously have been pioneers in all of this, where they actually have people um, who are assigned on an ongoing basis as part of the customer service team to reach out into these venues and to deal with these issues. Um, the next generation of that, though, is really where we're actually piping those pieces of data with all the append and the, all the intelligence, the, the intelligence data that we've layered on top of that Right to give as much of a profile of who this person is as possible, and within that find the clues to be able to match up with the internal customer intelligence data, so that they have a profile. They're they know who this person is from a customer profile perspective. All this rolls up into uh, customer intelligence, and what I'm what I'm seeing in social media is we keep saying social media. It's time you know social media has to grow up, and social media is growing up this year. It's this maturation process. Part of it is the social media listening is it has to is maturing into customer intelligence, and which is really infusing across the entire enterprise. And that's the great opportunity moving forward as well. When you measure these seven, you, you mentioned these seven layers of filtration. Right. Um, one of the things you didn't mention, but maybe it's in there, is this idea of the social graph. And, um, you know, if you're hearing this for the first time, well, you're probably, if you're listening to this podcast, you're not. But if you are, it's this idea that somehow you could come up with a numerical equation to represent uh, someone's interactions with other people through social networks. For example, I might have so many friends on Facebook, but I might have only interacted with several of them. And then I might have only inter interacted with uh, a, a subset of those several uh, more than six times. The idea being that somehow you could assign a numerical value to someone's relationships with other people in social networks. I, I mean, could, could you use that information to figure out what conversations are more important or is uh, the influence game over? Is the influence game basically a dangerous game to play in social media measurement? Right. Um, it's essentially the... Uh you know the the conversation, the sociograph component happens in that third layer, kind of the black box layer, where we're talking about intent modeling and applying all these kind of more black box, um, more kind of black box to analysis to the conversations. Um, it's an imperfect science. I mean, the reality is there's a lot of work happening in this particular area because on baseline um, baseline influence, which is where I think a lot of the industry is, you're looking at very kind of very simple uh, metrics in terms of determining influence. What's the number of links this person has? How often do they help? What's the age? You know, sometimes you can do things like velocity when they tend to do a post. How many people kind of refer back? You know, what are the trackbacks? So you can do some things around that, but it's imperfect. The reality is influence like sentiment. It has to happen on a company-specific level or in, in, or in a vertical-specific level. Um, so if I'm, um, making, if I'm making kind of coffee cups... Uh, Gawker may not be that influential to me, but it's a, you know so it's a kind of an influential venue overall. So the influence game is not over at all. I think I'd say we're only in the first we're only in the first quarter of the influence game, um, and looking at things like not people who not, and I think where this game is going is much more around implicit. Um, we talked earlier about implicit sentiment. You know, we, when we're doing sentiment analysis, we're looking at things, not just what people say explicitly, but what do they say implicitly uh, about 
things, and, and that becomes very interesting. Same thing about influence and who, what people's friends are. We're starting to look at not uh, what people say who their friends are, who they link to, but what, what do they actually do? And those are the types of sociographs that we see starting to emerge over time. But, um, but we are, and as in the listening space, I think we are, as I said, we're still in the... Uh, we're still in the, the uh, first quarter. Maybe we're moving into the second quarter. Uh, where we're going to be within three to five years from now is going to be extraordinary. And a lot of this data uh, and a lot of this analysis um, is going to be married with internal customer data and customer information and a lot of third-party information. And we're going to have really robust insights that uh, I think are going to be breakthrough. It's going to create sustainable advantage for, for the organizations who kind of adopt this. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I've never actually talked about it on the podcast, but I did some work for the U.S. Department of State earlier this year um, where we tried to see what the impact of Obama's speech in Cairo was. Mm-hmm. We came up with, and I used uh, the platform Radian 6 to build a dashboard where I came up with a river of news that was accurate for his June 4th speech in Cairo. And what we did is we inserted into the keyword cloud other uh, keywords indicative of the global challenges that the Department of State is trying to promote abroad, like um, uh, global hunger, um, climate change, uh, H1N1, HIV, um, and, and freedom, and liberty, and justice. And so we, we put together this, t- this keyword uh, uh, cloud that's giving us a pretty good river of news. And every time we get something bad, we go back and adjust the keyword cloud so we've got a good river of news. And we mapped um, the communications across all media, and we isolated uh, those conversations to that region of the world, to the Middle East, understanding that obviously IP isn't 100% accurate and knowing that once the GPS information is in Twitter, it would be more accurate, but nevertheless as a starting point. And we saw, sure enough, a good peak coming out of that part of the world for keyword Obama on June 4th. But it's interesting because the real peak coming out of that part of the world was not June 4th. It was over 30 days after that. And the keyword that followed the trend was freedom. And then what we started to do was we introduced some keywords indicative of the Lebanese elections, which were shortly thereafter, where Hezbollah lost. And we try to see, is there, a, is, was, is there a relationship? Did the discussion about Obama's speech in Cairo play a role in Hezbollah's defeat? And then we looked at um, some words like Musavi and Ahmadinejad, and we asked ourselves, did these conversations that happened in Cairo and then moved over to Lebanon play a role in people's willingness to protest in the streets during the Iranian elections. And the truth is, I mean, the data is crude at this point, but it was fascinating and it actually got me thinking, you know, I could foresee the day when the U.S. Department of State takes this type of research to Congress and says, hey, you need to give us more of the budget because we're not just waving our hands doing these diplomacy programs. We're generating a discussion about freedom and democracy abroad that is basically bringing down our enemies. Yeah. Yeah, and the government actually, to their credit, in many ways, has has been really moving rapidly to adopt this type of technology, um, and without revealing anything inappropriate too. I mean, even I, even the administration I know has really looked, you know, in, into this as well. You know, in terms of how do they supplement some of the more traditional approaches with with things like conversation mining to help you know infuse greater. Uh, insight, and partly because it's because it happens so quickly. Traditional market research, you know, tends to be you're in the rear, rear view mirror, and you know it's gone. I mean, this is here and now, unstructured, unprompted conversation happening at this moment. 
And yes, we can start to do things on a global basis, which becomes really interesting. The other thing that's really interesting when we find with conversation mining is, you know, what we're doing is we're, we're the early, one of the reasons I say we're still in the early days. We're dealing with this incredible, if Deepak Chopra says, if you want to know the state of the human consciousness, you know, go to the internet. And it's true because what we have is we have all the language and, and, and it's not just the explicit words, it's things about the use of metaphor and the use of symbolism and the use of images. And we have this other thing happening, which is really interesting, which we call uh, neologism, which is simply the emergence of new language. And so the analogy I sometimes make is that if we, if we take a room of any group, so we're speaking today later you know, with a group of public relations folks here, I split the room in half and kept them apart for 500 years and you brought them back together, they'd have different dialects. You keep them apart for 1,000 years and you bring them back together, they have different languages. And the reason is because language is always evolving very rapidly. But with social networking, what we're seeing, and I think this is kind of borne out in the conversation mining we're doing, this is accelerating really rapidly because language is the thing that lets people know if you're kind of in the tribe or not in the tribe. You know, it's, the, it's that kind of, do you get the slang? Do you know what's going on in these communities or not? And so the Urban Dictionary, there are a thousand new words added to the Urban Dictionary every day. And what we're seeing when we're doing conversation mining is the emergence of new language within different communities. And from a marketing standpoint and a communication standpoint, if you would decide that you want to engage in these particular venues, you better know the lingo. You better, if you're not, don't talk to the gaming community if you don't know what griefing is. Um, now, some of this language will come and it's evolving and it's disappearing very rapidly too. It's important for search marketing as well too. But it's, language is really kind of the key criteria in many ways if you're going to be accepted into a particular community. And I think that we, at most organizations, when you start looking at, talk, you talked about tag clouds, they look at tag clouds of, the, of their, their conversations or their marketing communications material. And then you do tag clouds of the community you're trying to talk to and you're talking right past each other. And so... Um, the value of this, I think, you know, certainly listening to me is not something that's going away. It's not a new fad. There's a lot of buzz around it, as there is with social right now overall. But this is something that's going to be very profound and, uh, and it's very compelling and uh, is going to be essential in many ways to company successes going forward. Okay, final question, and I'm going to play devil's advocate here. When I go to Ticketmaster or StubHub and I buy tickets... They have a little CAPTCHA code in there that I have to enter because they don't know whether or not I'm a computer or a person, okay? That's the state of artificial intelligence in computers right right now. And I uh, interviewed Mark uh, Weiner for this podcast, who's also speaking at the conference. I'll have a link in the show notes. He's uh, on the PRSA Measurement Working Group, and he said... Computers can't tell the difference between I love Toyota and I love everything but Toyota. Uh, So so the question is this. Is sentiment analysis, is reliable sentiment analysis possible? We are a decade away from reliable sentiment analysis. Now, I, w- I would differ from the, pre- the conversation. Machines can, le- can understand, I love Toyota, or I love everything but Toyota. The text analysis, there's actually two ways to attack sentiment analysis. One is uh, just text analytics, linguistic analysis. The other one is really machine-based learning, which is you know basically looking at the patterns from humans and forming it to kind of find the patterns and everything else. Uh, when you start combining those things together, you can start to find do some interesting things in terms of finding... The machines will do a good job of the heavy lifting. They will do a good job on the I loves. They'll do the good job of I hates. Uh, they'll do... They can even be a little more nuanced by, from that. But when people start to use slang, you know, look, this is computer is a dog. 
you know, forget it. Um, sarcasm, slang, uh, this neologism stuff that, that we were talking a little bit about earlier. You need to have humans embedded in the system. So what we do is our, you know, our machine-based learning and uh, uh, sentiment analysis does about 70% of the heavy lifting, but we have humans fully embedded into the system. Humans cannot be disconnected from this process. And I go a step further. Even if you could understand it, Everything if machines could even tell you everything that they're uh, what's being said out there and be able to categorize it for you, you still need humans to help determine what do I do with it. Um, as Henry Ford once said, you know, if I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have told me a faster horse. So the reality is, you're going to have all this data and all this intelligence coming into the company, but you still need the humans to find the great insights and the great inspirations that are going to change a business. So. For the foreseeable future, humans need to be deeply embedded into this process. If people, if you hear claims that people are claiming 90% uh, accuracy in terms of sentiment analysis based on machine approaches, uh, be careful. Uh, you know, it, it's not the, the technology is not there. And in fact, uh, Google says it quite openly as well. They have quite a few PhDs working on this as an issue as well. And none of us are there yet. But I actually find for me on a personal level, I find it's refreshing for me that humans need to be embedded into the solutions. Uh, I think that there's a humanness to what we're trying to do. Um, I think human uh, inspiration um, is something that's really powerful and it's something that we're not going to automate. And hopefully we don't automate for a long time uh, because some people claim that will be the singularity and maybe humans won't be quite needed as much. But I can assure everybody who's looking at listening, humans are essential to the process. So uh, it'll stay that way for quite a while. Rob Key, CEO and founder of Conversion. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.